Welcome, sellouts, in honor of this week's 30th anniversary of Reality Bites. What is your favorite Winona Ryder performance? Uh, I'm Katie Rich. I'm someone who saw The Age of Innocence for the first time a few months ago, so I cannot say anything except The Age of Innocence. Uh, She acts like she's too stupid to clean a kerosene lamp, but she's secretly a mastermind. (laughs) Hey, it's me, David the Seppin, and in honor of one of the movies we'll be talking about this week, I'm inclined to choose Kim from Edward Scissorhands. Uh, I'm David Ehrlich, and this question makes me realize that Winona Ryder just might not be one of my one of my girls. Oh, uh, right. no! I mean, I just like uh, when she fucks uh, a puppet in movie forty two. What about yeah, that uh, Golden Globe speech where she's staring <laughs> off into space? I mean, I like her in uh, the Age of Innocence. Is probably my go to answer. Um, I mean, she does what the movie needs her to do with the with the moment needed her to do in Reality Bites. No denying that. Um, but she probably, at the time of its release, anyway, made the biggest impression on me during Alien Resurrection. Yeah, uh, call. Which, yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, I don't know. And then I, I liked her in Mr. Deeds, which I also saw in theaters opening weekend, and thought that um, she wow. was uh, a fun foil for Adam Sandler, but. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I appreciate her in the culture, uh, the role that she has played. But as an actress, uh, well, David can't say for Winona this is Ryder. really. Mm-hmm. Didn't I don't, I don't want to come for no, no, no Winona Ryder. I mean, I just like. I also have like a pretty deep antipathy towards all things Tim Burton, um, and that's obviously who she's associated with uh, uh, more than anything. And so, something like Beetlejuice or Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Um, <laughs> or, I don't know, it's not, uh, really, not really up my street. Beetlejuice 2 coming to theaters. Yeah, that's yeah. it's called yeah. Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice. Is it yes. literally called Beetlejuice? Beetlejuice. Yes. It is. Yes. yes. Oh, I will go. Sake. I will go with because I have to pick a clear answer here. I will go with the Strangers with Candy episode, The Last Temptation of Blank, in which she plays <laughs> the character of Fran. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain, and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then, well then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine, then, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's a podcast. Hello, and welcome to Fighting in the War Room. It is episode 462. It is the week of Wednesday, February 14th. That's the day that in 1929, there was this little thing called the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Mm-hmm. Seven gangsters were killed, allegedly, in Al Capone's orders. It's I crazy like we that we talk I... about that on this podcast every year. Do we, I mean, we can't yeah. always release on Valentine's Day. It's funny to me that I know about the St. Valentine's Day massacre, and I, like I knew about it like as a child, and I know like nothing about Al Capone. Why did I know about this? Oh, was it like I, referenced I mean, in a Looney Tunes? That's often how things from the 30s made their way to me. In pop culture. I yeah, I mean, maybe I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, I do feel like I knew a lot more about Al Capone's reputation before I knew about what actually went down with Al Capone. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's got a catchy name. Uh, yeah, it, it, it very much does. Mm-hmm. Uh, mysteries for another time. Anyone who can reference the Looney Tunes that uh, t- talks about Al Capone, please let us know. Um, you might have noticed Matt Patches is not here. Uh, it snowed and his children didn't go to school. And that's why he's not here. That's the best I got. He didn't really give us a better excuse than that. Oh, well, yeah, that's the thing. He didn't give us a better excuse than that. We would absolutely tell you what was actually wrong with Matt Patches, but the answer might just be <laughs> snow. Uh, it's we're snow, snow when my kids were home from school, and yet I, who never missed an episode of this podcast, never uh, showed up 
you know. I do think you were like famously struck by a plague last week, though. Like, oh god, we gave you too much time for that. Katie, it has been so fucking rough. This, uh, I mean, I know I'm one to talk. You've been going through it in your own ways, but uh, yeah, we've all our own household got sick all weekend. Norovirus is uh, no joke. It it has really turned our lives upside down. I mean, my kids recovered in, I I honestly want to say less than 10 minutes from from the uh, spasms of vomit that signify Norovice's arrival. But um, while my wife and I, a lot of the stuff they bring home from daycare kind of bounces off from us and our adult immune systems, the ones that manage to elude your defenses hit that much harder. Mm -hmm. And we have been norovirused out for like a week now where like I feel like I'm just just starting to come back to life uh welcome back i'm so Thank glad you. that uh we brought you here to uh discuss lisa frankenstein to welcome you back <laughs> to the movie i the movie i saw as i was starting to experience my symptoms of norovirus i oh, wow. was sitting there um I, so you know, no, no is, wasted time is what you're saying yeah no i was uh man and i still i mean i'm not, I'm not gonna pretend that it was my finest writing but i still managed to crank out a review of lisa frankenstein before the plague completely took over my body, but wow. I went to uh, Wagam. I like went into like you know ghost town Brigadoon like Manhattan, which is what it feels like at like six o'clock on a Monday night these days. Because uh, it was a little bit early for the screening, and I like went into a completely empty Wagamama and had a really loaded bowl of ramen. Wagamama, I think, yeah. What is this? Uh, Wagamama is like a I think predominantly British chain of. Japanese fusion food, ramen in particular. Um, But uh, there ain't nobody there at six o'clock on a Monday night. And I, I was like, didn't realize it at the time, but I was pouring kerosene all over a powder keg. And then I (laughs) sat down for Lisa Frankenstein and my stomach just went, and I held it, I held it together through the movie, but it was providing its own Foley work for the film. Um, A movie that, could have used anything that audiences um, I wanted to bring to it. So you're welcome. Hang on, Once suddenly, I can talk about my fucking gastrointestinal system for as long as I want, but it's that's suddenly, what people I subscribe make one, to this one for. inference to the quality of a film, and suddenly it shut it down. Well, we're talking, we're talking about, about it. About. We're not I know. there. I know. Thirty seconds. There. Yeah, that's my anyway. fault. Anyway, uh, well, no one's ever going to leave a five star review wait, wait. for this podcast ever Katie, again. Katie, but I didn't even get to the best part. Oh my god. I mean, really we've been letting people into our review. lives and into our bodies <laughs> for more than a decade now. And Speak I feel like our yourself. listenership, <laughs> I think our listenership deserves to know that later mm-hmm. that night, mm-hmm. uh, uh, I threw up, I threw up for the first time since my bachelor party. Wow. Oh. It was exciting. Yeah. Uh, it was not as fun this time. Honestly, uh, because... making it this far through parenthood without having thrown up because of something your parents, kids gave you is an accomplishment. I'm going to give you that. Mm- my body is just is not really into throwing up. Like I just I do it like once at most a decade, and this mm-hmm. is my time. It's like um, your body is a cage. It I is do like my body. Mm-hmm. sort of feel like we have talked about throwing up at this podcast before, yeah. but I am not continuing the topic because no one's ever going to leave us a five star <laughs> review again, and no one left a review this week. But we do have an email. That's right. Which is so, fair as punishment, David. I don't know if you listened to last week's episode nope. where uh, a person reviewed us on the app. And suggested that we have uh, 10 Fitwear Hall of Fame movies uh, because this person has been listening for uh, over 10 years. Mm -hmm. And uh, they suggested Aquaman, Carol, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, Foxcatcher, The The Lion King from 2019, Lyle Lyle Crocodile, The Mummy, The Road to Wellville, and Soul Surfer. 
And then we got it's one like email. The this worst buttonumathon lineup imaginable. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, I, th- this should be the only reason. Yeah, all those movies are ever together. But uh, <laughs> Martin wrote in, and it's a very short email. The subject is the Fitwear Pantheon, and th- the body of the email says, "I nominate a Serbian film." Which uh, mm. made, made me laugh. Mm. Which I never did see. I know of it entirely through context clues of you talking about it. Yep, I do bring it up enough because I want credit for watching it, and uh, it absolutely should be part of the Fitwear Pantheon. So, if you would like, like to you know hear stories, <laughs> wait, wait, I have about, a question. Yeah, Where yeah. does that does that play in in our Buttonumathon like twenty uh, four hour programming block of the Fitwear Hall of Fame? Does the Serbian film play before or after Lyle Lyle Crocodile? Uh, where does the <laughs> slot into the schedule? <laughs> Let's go. The Lion King, a Serbian you, film, you Lyle have to, Lyle Crocodile? You have to separate it from Foxcatcher as much as possible. Mm. I think we know that much. Well, I think you really have to space out Carol and Forgetting Sarah Marshall just so people do not kill themselves. Um, and, and then the rest is pretty grim. Soul Surfer can just go right in the middle, I think. Yeah, yeah. No, I think maybe end with a Serbian film so people could tap out if they want to. But if not, they... Nah, you got to send them out on a high note. You got to close with Forgetting Sarah Marshall. I think <laughs> fair uh, or Lion King 2019 uh, oh either way if you uh, would like more uh, focus content from us in this segment you could leave a review on the Apple podcast app and we will read it here or email us at fit dot fitwr dot podcast at gmail.com that's fighting in the war room acronym dot podcast at gmail.com uh, please do uh, otherwise if we get absolutely zero response not only can David talk about his bodies workings for however long he wants uh, but we'll talk about mobile gaming uh so yeah uh until then on with the show at this point i think i really could monologue about breath of the wild for as long as you wanted or i, I mean people would enjoy hearing my kids monologue about it because they're the ones who actually do it but uh, yeah i want to hear your kids the, the monologue bre- about breath of the wild <laughs> i wonder if i if i could get like just hold the phone in front of them because man they will talk to you about akla tower and hitano village and uh the ancient <laughs> tech lab all day mm-hmm. uh and they'll yell at you if you do it wrong <laughs> <laughs> David, David, I did not see Lisa Frankenstein. I thought I would, and then it was met by such a gigantic shrug by all of society uh, that it just <laughs> kind of fell off the list. I, I, I wonder if Madam Webb kind of uh, served as a shield to this one, as like a kind of disastrous movie that comes out in February, but uh, there's not any schadenfreude associated with this one. I don't think. You guys can tell me if I'm seeing something different. Diablo Cody is the writer. She's obviously someone... Who has had plenty of Schadenfreude thrown her way, but it's also directed by Zelda Williams. God, I was just talking about Breath of the Wild in the background. <laughs> uh, she's mm. named for named for Princess Zelda, um, daughter of Robin Williams, making her directorial debut. So we're all rooting for her. Um, it is a Frankenstein-y kind of movie, I think, uh, but with teenagers and Cole Sprouse is a zombie, not mm-hmm. a Frankenstein, right? Uh, I'm mean, confused y- by sure. this. Sure. Okay. So. Uh, uh, um, uh, Catherine Newton plays Lisa Swallows, who is a cemetery girl, antisocial because she saw her mom axe murdered uh, earlier in the movie that we or earlier in the timeline we don't get to see. She's now living 
with her father's new wife and new sister. Uh, she's not getting along at her new school. She likes to hang out in the cemetery uh, where she makes like uh, wax rubbings of different graves and is especially obsessed with this one uh, cemetery headstone that has a very attractive looking bust on it. Uh, one night while she's, uh, I don't know, takes too many drugs at a party, uh, lightning strikes the cemetery and reanimates this corpse. And the corpse uh, gets the idea that she wished. Uh, that they could be together when really when she said I wish I was with you she meant she, she wished she was dead so it's uh -huh. not like mm. it's not like he comes out of the ground and instantly that's where the romance is it's more like how does Lisa Frankenstein deal with her new uh, corpse friend uh, especially when he starts murdering people for their body parts okay. and uh, that's what Lisa Frankenstein's about it is not not a romance, but it's not as direct as something else. It takes place in a heightened world of interesting people. Uh, and that's where I sort of brought up Edward Scissorhands. That's probably the most direct comp I could make uh, oh. after having watched it. For me, the most direct comp is definitely Lucky McKee's May. Mm. Uh, if anyone else has seen that movie. It's sort of no. it's a, a great a great speaking back to the the Bud Namathon of it all the great ain't it cool news you know Halcyon days throwback but uh, it's a movie Frankenstein like movie about a girl played by played by Angela Bettis who's sort of a social recluse who decides to build her perfect man by uh, assembling him uh, from the pieces perfect pieces that she finds in a variety of men uh, and she cuts them off and sews them together. Uh, into her sort of like undead meat puppet. Um, it's not dissimilar at all from Lisa Frankenstein in that way, but it is much more satisfying on every conceivable level. Highly recommended. Kind of a gem of the early aughts. Anyway, so that's the movie I've thinking about watching this. fine. Like, sure. Like, they, yeah, well, I wrote Jennifer Spotty. It got reclaimed as a classic years later. It seems like something went awry on the way toward that, though. Uh... I don't know. I could see this having a Jennifer's body arc in the sense that it's accepted, no. accepted like no. this. And no, mm. well, there's no, going to no, be no. some. No, I imagine no, no, no. there's some. Uh, okay, all right. It's, why, it's, why not, it's, David? Be, I mean, I, I just don't see it at all because the the difference between Karen Kusama and Zelda Williams it's everything for this movie. I mean, Jennifer's mm. body may not have received the warmest welcome when it came out, but I saw the movie the weekend that it opened. I enjoyed it, but it's also like so full bodied and full of life that. You know, there was ample, the soil was planted, you know, whatever the metaphor is here. I mean, it was like the soil was ripe for rediscovery because there was, it's a very rich text. There's a lot going on. It's a much uh, more developed screenplay, yes, but it's also that screenplay is better nurtured. There are great moments that stand out. There are real senses of characters and scenes. Um, this movie feels absolutely hacked to, bit, to bits. There are very, very few scenes in the film um, you know, from the simplest ones at the start of the film to more elaborate uh, and tonally fraught and high wire scenes a little bit later on that feel at all sort of tonally coherent. It's kind of all over the map. They have no shape to them, these scenes. It feels very, very, very much like the work of a first-time feature filmmaker um, uh, who's biting off more than they can chew. Um, we don't really ever get a sense, and I, who's to say at what point in the production process happened, if this is an issue with the screenplay or how things were handled in post or using whatever they got on the day, but um, you, you, we, there's just not enough there to understand who any of these characters are or to understand what we're supposed to be thinking about them. I mean, by the time uh, Lisa starts murdering people to appease her undead boyfriend, 
we don't even really understand what world we're in. How heightened is this supposed to be? How transgressive is what she's doing? How funny is it supposed to be that she murders somebody versus, you know, where's mm. the romance here? I mean, like, there is absolutely no sense of equilibrium or balance. It's just throwing shit at the wall. Um, and you can tell almost immediately when a movie isn't working, when they're just like the bout, like that there isn't that sort of alchemy that it needs. Um, and everything feels sort of um like it's clashing against each other uh there are odd moments here and there that are funny i thought Catherine newton um and cole sprouse are both great uh in very Catherine different roles newton, but I think, uh yeah. great in detective pikachu which proves yeah. that uh, she can really do anything <laughs> she's i mean she's very funny and like you know she leans all the way into this character i love her physicality here the way that she walks this sort of like hunched spindly way that she moves um you can really sort of feel her even when the movie isn't giving when the movie isn't giving any sort of broader context uh you really feel the energy of this character just through how she comports herself and speaking of that context the one thing that like i couldn't believe as i was watching it is that it isn't until like 35 minutes into the movie after she started killing people that you go to high school like there's that's high school is used in these movies as a baseline of normalcy as a way of um, orienting you to how much of an outsider your protagonist may be, um, you know, where they sort of fall in the social hierarchy, everything. It gives meaning uh, and context to everything in this movie. And the fact that this movie doesn't get there until all hope is already lost, I just thought was like so indicative of, of how topsy-turvy everything is in this film and why none of it really sticks together. Can I, I ask a he, uh, pretentious question based on yeah. uh, what I learned in college and film classes? But the the whole emphasis was in comedies. You need a margin of safety. You need something that tells you, like, here's what's real in this world. Here's what's OK to laugh at. Here's what's not OK to laugh at. It sounds like this movie lacks that entirely. It doesn't give you a sense of reality versus not reality versus what what feels safe and what doesn't. For me, it gave me an immediate sense of unreality, which meant that, you know, it was making up its rules while it's winter along. I don't disagree with that. There are lots of parts of this movie that feel like, yeah, Zelda Williams isn't hitting a tone. Uh, I don't know even if she's trying for a tone or just, like, getting enough coverage and hoping the performances, like, get her through. That is definitely there. But I do think it takes place in, like, a Edward Scissorhands-like world where it's, like, we have our lead girl who is um, the only one that's going to be allowed to have, like, a thought process because everybody else exists in, like, these stereotypes of 1980 late 80s parenthood like the father's like constantly reading a paper doesn't notice when like really horrible things happen just like on the other side of the room you know all these sort of tropes uh that i've seen in lots of movies but it's the uh i, I didn't get bothered so much by the lack of specificity or character in any of those people they just all became you know, weird props in what this movie's trying to say, which is sort of like a coming of age for incredibly morbid people uh, that involves killing, you know, uh, people, characters that were already horrible. Nobody who dies in this movie, I'm like, oh, they they're, want me to have a moral quandary. They want you to be rooting for the murders. Uh, and they want you to, I think, ultimately be rooting for uh, this girl to have sex with a dead guy. Um, and if those two things aren't things you find yourself rooting for, I can understand how the movie goes flat. It just wasn't, maybe I've been slightly pill web pilled, but it wasn't bad enough to be offensive to me. I was Wait, just like, web pilled. Oh. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, uh, like, uh, uh, I did 
have to pee at one point because I had misjudged how much coffee I'd had before my screening. Mm. And I was like, this seems like a safe spot to go to the bathroom because the same nothing has been happening for like 10 minutes. Mm. And as soon as I got back from the bathroom, that's when the first murder happened. So mm. I like uh, you could definitely feel the pacing slack. I just don't know if it does anything that's like out and out bad. I mean, it just doesn't assemble itself. I just found it frustrating because I enjoy the idea behind this movie conceptually. I think having a sort of like goth girl gender flip weird science is a lot of fun. Um, and the wish fulfillment element of it all, you know, that even these even the weirdos, you know, should get what it shouldn't just be these sort of like heteronormative, like, like, you know, standard issue nerdy teen boys. You know, even the weird social recluse girls should have their wish fulfillment and it can be fucked up. And even the fucked up kids still deserve love um, and want love. And like all that is totally well and good by me. I just thought that, you know, every scene is so miscalculated that it, it just it. Yeah, I mean, like I could tell you intellectually that this movie is supposed to be kooky and you're supposed to laugh at things that may not align to your moral codes. And like, sure, of course. But like that's it, it, it's it has to be a lot more precise than that for it mm. to be funny and it just is never there the precision is only in the performances particularly uh catherine newton and cole sprouse i mean he's doing this uh virtually wordless uh performance as the you know undead hunk who she brings back who sort of you can tell you can intuit from how he inhabits that body that he's sort of uh he was back when he was alive a hopeless romantic uh he's not like a malevolent force um if anything like she is sort of you know far the far more violent of the two i like the dynamic in theory between her and her like really impossibly perfect uh stepsister um who is kind of a complicated character because she like it, she seems sort of noxious to someone like lisa but at the same time is self-aware enough to also hate her mom, who's played by Carla Gugino. And, um, and like, she's a little bit more uh, of a shoulder for Lisa to, to cry on or whatever than you might think at first. Like, that's all fun. But, like, none of it works because it's just not good filmmaking. <laughs> and um, I feel like the screenplay is some of Diablo Cody's weakest work, or at least that's how it feels in the way that it was served here. Um, there are a lot of fun ideas. None of them stick together. Uh, you know, I hope everyone gets to dust themselves off and try again. You think Zelda Williams is going to get a chance to try again? I hope yes. so. I mean, there's no reason. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, like the the dirty word that none of us are saying here is nepotism, and sure. uh, uh, I just don't really care about that because I, I, we never really know the story behind how people find their way behind a camera um, for the first time, even if we think we do. I mean, it's not my place to care. Um, I'm sure that that helped her in her journey there. And certainly the fact that this doesn't really, this doesn't really suggest a lot of experience behind the camera, um, it might be inviting towards more cynical reads, but I, it certainly doesn't have any bearing on my interest in wanting to see more of her work. I think that, you know, there being filmmakers who like, if anything, actually, her nepotism makes her more interesting to me, more, uh, makes me more keen on hoping that she makes more movies because she has the power to make them happen, um, or at least more power than the average person off the street might. And if she's going to combine that with off kilter sensibilities and the desire to make interesting and you know at least ostensibly original things, then more power to her. And I'd love to see her keep going. Um, yeah, but she should she should that, direct yeah. Charlie Kaufman's next children's movie. I think that's, that's sure. Yeah, I mean, whatever. 
Um, uh, yeah, you're gonna get a lot more Charlie Kaufman children's movies. Is that the idea? <laughs> I knows? mean, I don't know. I just maybe it's because I watch them close enough together. But like, there's this sort of feeling where it's like I see that there is something that interested her about this material. I don't necessarily think it was just the screenplay, but it doesn't it doesn't manage to poke through. She doesn't have command of whatever her voice is at this point. Uh, yeah, yeah. She's she's a director, but it's not. Um, it, it doesn't feel as fully baked. And it's like, listen, uh, even Jace, as the creature Jace, you know, is. Yeah. And it's like, you know, yeah. it's entirely possible that Zelda Williams potential is a lot greater than Jason Reitman's ever. I mean, it's not a right. particularly high bar, but Jason wow. Reitman um, had Throwing like his, at Jason Reitman. I mean, the strays, I'll shoot him dead on. I don't care. But he, uh, he <laughs> <laughs> fight him he, in the street. Yeah. But um, he had not only sort of the good sense, just get out of Diablo Cody's way, but he had sort of a, a basic competence or maybe just a lack of ambition to not complicate anything and just let sort of scenes be intact. And it was obviously, it was also working with something like Juno with, um, with a simpler tone. And by the time he got around to more sophisticated and better films, like young adult, I would say is still the best thing she's ever written in my opinion. Um, you know, they were simpatico and he really understood what to, to do to not fuck up that story. But yeah, I mean, hopefully, I hopefully Stella Williams gets another chance. I think the uh, moment that I realized this movie wasn't going to be a hit in theaters or, you know, be able to buzz its way to an interesting second weekend is uh, I had to look up what the fuck happened at the end of this movie. <laughs> and I watch a lot of movies. I watch a lot of confusing franchise movies. Uh, this is not the type of movie where you have to be like, wait, wait what is that last shot implying? Uh, but yet here it is. Lisa Frankenstein. I, I don't know. It's a it's a it's a it's a uh, spotty time out there for theatrical seeing things theatrically sure and i uh i didn't mind lisa frankenstein uh but it was like a saturday morning movie for me so uh it's it is what it is you, you didn't see it on a monday night away from your children while suffering the early pains of norovirus in the middle <laughs> right. of manhattan right. the only so, actual, okay. that's the 40x experiment it, it, yeah. it, makes, it makes sense why you're a little more mad at it than i am but i think we mostly agree on it's on its failings happened with the seven million dollar trailer spots and oh boy the, we got to uh, the most watched the most watched event on television since the moon landing yes apparently. so that did happen <laughs> which is uh, I, yeah that's crazy it, it's big i was not one of those people i was uh watching a series we're going to talk about in a little bit uh rather than tuning in uh, to the super bowl but I was occasionally taking breaks in between episodes of another thing to check in on our newest trailers to show us some movies that are actually going to come out this year, um, uh, barring, I don't know, some sort of a, another union uprising. Oh, for God's sake. Um, oh, another pandemic. Don't forget that's an option. Or, or another pandemic. Also that. Um, uh, and uh, we've narrowed them down to like four Um trailers that we think are the biggest trailers uh, of the day and i wanted to sort of get my co-host's feelings on how the trailers and things worked uh katie 
Okay. When we were bringing up Super Bowl trailers, you always led with Wicked. So please tell me what you <laughs> thought about this look at Wicked, which will be released as Wicked Part 1. But uh, according to the trailer... I think it is trailer, no longer called Part 1, uh, which okay. is just going to be confusing. Uh, the trailer hides much to the fact that it's a musical and that it's a Part 1. Um, mm-hmm. So interesting marketing choice. Um, I do. I believe it was the um, the great hero David Crumholtz who tweeted that it looked like an early two thousand Skittles commercial, which is not sure was. wrong. Yeah. If you're not you know, following on David Crumholtz on Twitter, get oh, on. Oh, yeah. he's on a tear Lord, these days. He is on a roll. I I said to someone, if he doesn't get a memoir out of this string of tweets, then uh, you know this has all been for nothing. Twitter can still do good things. Let it be possible. Um, I'm like, yeah, I'm here for Wicked. Like I. I don't know how any, how anyone expected it not to look like a bunch of CGI mess. And I think the standard it has to hit is not looking like Oz the Great and Powerful, which is not that hard, I don't think. Like, I think it can accomplish that. It's like hopefully the costumes and once you're in like with actually within the world feel tactile and real and that you get performances from Cynthia Revio and Ariana Grande that anchored the whole thing. I don't think there's any reason to think that they won't. I think isolating that riff of, of at the end of Defying Gravity in the trailer was a weird choice. Like it sounds <laughs> bizarre out of context. Um, but yeah, I just like why would you not be all in on Wicked at this point? Like it's uh, well, it's gonna ask, be Wicked. <laughs> yes. Can I ask you a question? Yes. Um, as someone who has not seen Wicked, because I have a healthy respect for the fact that I'm only on this earth for a finite period of time. I too have um, never seen Wicked. I've just listened. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it just sounds like poison to Mostly me. Mostly, I, I was mean, just like, am I going to spend um, 150 bucks to go see this? And the answer was, I was like, yeah, God. no. I mean, I, I am already planning on another round of norovirus whenever that movie screens, so I can avoid it. But, um, but uh, no, I mean, I will never, ever, ever see that movie if I can help it. It just truly looks wow. like the antithesis of everything that I care about in art and the creation of uh, beautiful things in this world. But wow. um, I, I hear, I mean, like I, I, I gagged and not in the way that. People you, you were not, gagging in a positive way. No, I was could, not gagged. I yeah, was gagging. Uh, yeah, yeah, um, but yeah. Uh, well, it's, about how but, to use the verb is what makes you not sound old. And I don't remember how to describe <laughs> which is which one. Is My right. question to you, Katie, mm-hmm. and this actually may be more difficult for you to answer than I thought because it, it turns out you have not seen the musical. Is that um, I hear that the you know, the second act of a lot of Broadway musicals mm-hmm. tends to be. Pretty, pretty, pretty rough going. You get all the sad songs. Everything slows down. Um, people are padding for time. I hear the second act of Wicked is particularly grim um, and tough to sit through. And now they are dedicating well. an entire movie to it. Uh, how do we feel like this is going to work out? Yeah, I don't know. I don't think that the, the choice that I would have made either. I mean, I think in like Vanity Fair did a like slightly more extensive first look where they're like, we wanted to be able to include everything the fans want to see. And I'm like, that's not what you do. You don't know. You, you <laughs> cut things. You make things that actually make for a proper movie. So I don't know what to do about that part of it. Uh, yeah, I'll be there to find out right alongside you. I'd like, I, I, do you not have enough love in your heart for the lavish musical to like want to see how this one turns out? Like, I know that Cats is out there to prove how wrong it can go, but like, you gotta see Wicked. I'll make this one my first wicketing. I have not listened to it ever. I didn't see it. I haven't read it. Do you I, know I'm... about that time that she defies gravity? Have you heard about that? Oh, I've seen performances on other award shows of defying gravity. Yes. <laughs> Fair I, enough. Okay. I'm aware. I'm aware of the wicked sphere. But uh, even when it was running on Broadway, I was like, this is not for me. Uh, yeah. Um, but, yeah. But I'll be willing to. You know what? It's, it's Cynthia Erbo's. Uh, glasses 
having that weird nose bridge thing in the trailer where I'm like, that's enough. I'll go watch this. This looks like it's interestingly designed, even if it's CGI mess. Uh, but interestingly designed CGI mess, I think I, I will give it a shot at. But if it is indeed part one, uh, Wicked will Wicked part two, me watching Wicked part two very much depends on if I like part one at all. So I was interested in it. Apparently Dorothy's in there, which I, my understanding was she isn't. So maybe I just don't understand. Uh, mm -hmm. But it did pique my curiosity, which and I think Katie, is... To your, to your point, Katie, like, yes, it was always going to look like a CGI sore. CGI, a CGI sore. Oh, wow. Uh, no, 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 you did it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'll just leave it there. But um, as somebody, I saw someone pointing out on Twitter, it feels particularly sort of egregious in this case because it's not, people are not just going to compare it to Oz the Great and Powerful. They're going to compare it to The Wizard of Oz. One of wait, the wait, there was a prequel opulent. to Oz the Great and Powerful. I, 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 didn't I know, know I know, I know. It's been memory hold. Um, but uh, <laughs> yes, Once Upon a Time. Um, no, but in one of the most opulent technicolor films ever made, and so like it just makes the, the contrast that much more stark um, and hard to swallow. So yeah, um, I mean, I just think but, because like <laughs> Wicked is so much its own beast at this point, like Oz the Great and Powerful, and you know, it's trying to like play off of exactly The Wizard of Oz and Wicked, like has its own mythology to it at this point so like you know i know there's like the shot in the trailer where you see them like approaching the wizard and dorothy's in there so like but a lot of it's just going to be its own thing i don't know i don't i might not know enough about wicked itself to to prove this but i feel like the the visual comparison to the original wizard of oz is not that big a problem well let's see if david ehrlich can smash my excitement for one of my most anticipated movies of 2024 that we finally got a first look at this is the lee isaac chung follow-up to minari it is twisters david did you see the twisters trailer yeah i'm hyped yeah. um, david's mean, living twi the twisters trailer <laughs> yeah. oh, you don't you don't face your bathroom, fears yeah. you ride them i mean twisters of all the of all the movies all the like the 90s um summer blockbusters to make a sequel to uh i mean twisters is exciting because because it's so unnecessary and sort of out, out of left field um it is basically just a concept what if there were twisters <laughs> you know like there are people who went after them and uh, so which is the same really concept sacred. behind the original it's like exactly right, the same right, thing exactly. like sure i mean there's nothing really sacred i mean I, I can't think of what you would what sort of chow you would throw to the, the or red meat you would throw to the fans other than like having a cow blow by um there's you know, a there's a dorothy there's a dorothy in the trailer uh, yeah. well, well they have the little uh the balls fly up in the air yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that's the dorothy dorothy oh, okay. I mean, or whatever i'm not necessarily under any delusion that uh lee isaac chung is going to you know bring uh, the, uh sensitivity uh and <laughs> sort of directorial aplomb worthy of minari to this film any more uh than i am that michael sarnowski of pig is going to make quiet place day one um feel like uh it isn't just corporate pap but uh i'd certainly rather watch those guys try than you know studio hack um i mean sure. twisters i think i think because twisters isn't super tied down to any kind of bullshit and it's free just to be a movie about people hot people chasing tornadoes i mean i'm as excited to see that as i would be anything else this summer um a lot more excited about that than i am about another quiet place movie that's for sure you didn't so, mention a very um, uh, prominent name that's, uh, I think, going Glenn to be... Glenn Powell? Yeah, thank you very much. I mean, I feel like <laughs> no. the Twisters are in the trailer, but Glenn, Pla Glenn yeah. Powell is the special effect in the Twisters trailer. 
And this might yeah, be just I my mean, like, like lingering hitman hype talking, but uh, <sighs> you know, Glenn Powell well, <laughs> having a time. He's gonna be, you know, one of the one of the silver linings to Netflix saving Hitman for the summer is that Glenn Powell will really be everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that movie pops on Netflix and if Twisters works in theaters, then he has as legitimate a shot at sort of like real stardom. Um, I think especially because he isn't like, as anyone has had recently, especially because he isn't tied to any like franchise in particular. He isn't just Thor, you know, he isn't the Hulk. I mean, yeah, you're going to want to see him in Top Gun three, um, you know, et cetera, but like, which they're going to make already, in like 10 years. Yeah. But like between anyone, but you and Hitman already, I mean, already there is a, um, he has, would have been successful in a number of different things. Uh, it's probably going too far to say that he could like open a movie that doesn't have anything else going for it because those days are for the most part done. But, uh, but uh, hang on, hang on. Anyone but you, I guess open is, your, is the term you use right, there. Right, but anyone the, but yeah, you yeah. is out there just like caking out at the global box like, office that's, still. I mean, like that's the sweet spot for him. Like that's what you should do. I, I do think that's a categorically different thing than opening a movie. Yes, absolutely. But um, it's not necessarily a less valuable thing. Um, yeah. You know, in some ways to me, in my heart, maybe even more valuable that you can get people uh, in a middle to low budget movie uh, by studio standards coming back to the theaters uh, over the course of seven or eight weeks. I mean, that's even more exciting. So, yeah, um, I, I do. I do not love hit the hitman hitman, um, but I'm glad that people do. I'm sad I'd be for a you. Lot, I'd be a lot happier <laughs> if people liked it, if it weren't on Netflix, uh, the combination of me not really loving a movie that people like and also it's premiering on netflix gives me very little incentive to care <coughs> um but uh yeah twisters that could be fun yeah well back to franchises for our final two trailers we got a, a not our first look but a more extended look at the <laughs> next installment in the planet of the apes franchise uh, this one is not uh, a part of the Matt Reeves trilogy necessarily, although it does continue that story. <coughs> it takes place three, 300 years after. Oh, okay. I was like, well, how does it continue the story, but it's not part of the trilogy? Okay. All right. Yeah. Don't look for the people that you learn to love as apes or as people in those that trilogy. They're all dead. Is Andy Serkis uh, not this- involved in this one? He is not that I know of. No, well, he's not involved. I mean, in I, it. I figured, yeah, Caesar's not around still, but. Uh... You know, well, you'd be it. There is a Caesar as uh, Kevin Durant lost's Kevin Durant, uh, mm. X Men Origins Wolverine's Kevin Durant, uh, the uh, Resident Evil Retribution's Kevin Durant is here as Proximus Caesar. He is the bonobo ruler who is uh, leading these apes in search of human technologies, and then uh, Owen Teague is our. <laughs> new protagonist noah who is a chimp who doesn't think we should hunt humans Mm, bold yeah man i not only am i not interested in this movie i really cannot fathom how anyone could be interested in this movie and i understand that's a more deficit of my uh imagination than it is anything else but like i just don't give a fuck about watching movies about apes i just don't and uh that's you know a me problem more than anything um, I couldn't have given less of a shit about the last three Apes movies, although the first one was kind of interesting and it's apocalyptic bent and now it makes the transition for Planet of the Apes. Totally checked out of the next two. Um, and now you have Wes, the Maze Runner ball coming back, you know, prior to his Zelda movie. 
Dr. Katie's kids. Uh, yeah. Uh, with, yeah. When is it coming out? A- they would like to know. If, if yeah. anyone can tell me when that movie's coming out. <laughs> um, I just like, man, I, I cannot think of anything less appealing than this film. I mean, I'm into it right now. The, thing, the only thing that bothers me is I, I don't think making the apes talk English was something we needed to build up to. We could, saw a whole bunch of great, compelling apes movies where that didn't need to happen. But I suppose... If all the humans have been dead for, if all the English-speaking humans have been dead for 300 years, gotta replace it with something. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm gonna check it out. The most interesting thing about this movie is not necessarily its trailer, but this is the movie that Disney moved into its uh, Marvel kicks off the summer uh, weekend, since we will not be having a Marvel movie in May. And instead, they put Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes on May 10th which is traditionally Disney's first shot across the bow. So someone's seen, seen it and thought it was good. Uh, you just can't trust any of those people. So a uh, big question mark, but I'm the plan of the apes franchise. Uh, n- never, never counted out. Always coming back. Uh, people like to see movies about apes for whether it be makeup or CGI for whatever reason. It is a very so. like of the last decade like a pretty low-key successful franchise like it's been there all along people have been going to see it but it hasn't gotten the level of attention and like has maybe been better off for it yeah hopefully i mean the weirdest thing about this one is every all the matt reeves apes or the two matt reeves apes uh really developed the technology along with making the movies sort of like george lucas-esque or James Cameron-esque, where it's like, let's use this budget to push the technology forward. I haven't heard of that happening on this movie. Mm. I don't know if these people are, these actors are motion capturing the entire time, or if it's now an animated movie where there's a whole bunch of voiceover to traditional animation. Gonna have to wait and see when uh, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes comes out. But, (laughs) one more. This one recently, uh, along with the Super Bowl, set the record for the most streamed trailer of all time. It's Deadpool and Wolverine. Uh, I can tell you from inside the halls of the Marvel superfans, everybody's very excited about Marvel again. Um, uh, let's go with Katie. Were Katie, the Marvel did you watch- superfans not excited about Marvel? Like, I mean... Sorry, like you're talking about you're talking about super fans who had kind of become a little disillusioned, not the people who are hardcore who are like, no, don't worry about it, everything's fine. Right. Uh, okay. Those of us that saw the Marvels and were like, this was fine, uh, versus the other people that are like, why hasn't there been a good movie since Spider-Man: No Way Home? Uh, everybody's sort of together, and that Deadpool looks like it could be promising. Katie, did you watch Loki? I watched season one, and then okay, I didn't, so- and then I never watched season two. But you're at least aware of who shows I'm a, up to I'm get... I'm aware of the TVA. Good. And uh, time... Oh, hang on. No, not time loops. Um, uh, timelines, sacred timelines. Mm-hmm. And uh, wait, were you talking about Kang? What were you trying to talk about? Who shows up? <laughs> oh, just that the TVA shows up to oh, take yes. Deadpool away. Yes, yes. That much I know. I never saw Deadpool 2. I'm okay. not super Deadpool fluent. I obviously know who Wolverine is. Are you aware um, that he knows he's in a movie? I heard that he knows that he's in a movie. I honestly mm. don't find that, I don't know, maybe I'm an easy mark. Like, I don't find that as obnoxious as many people do. But then again, I never saw Deadpool 2, so who cares? 
Um, I, I, judging by the trailer for the third one, they are determined to make you find that obnoxious as soon as humanly possible. <laughs> they are, Katie Rich, they are coming for you. I don't think Deadpool and Wolverine is going to be for me, but I have been expecting it to be popular, and it seems like it is going to succeed in doing that. And as someone who wants people to see movies, I'm fine with it. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I mean, I I think so. I, it's, I have a lot of thoughts about it, obviously, in terms of the sort of like the daringness of this being your one cinematic offering and it's almost certainly going to be rated R and yeah. like Marvel's like one movie this one Deadpool and Wolverine and uh, obviously the how uh, this is you know sort of going to be a send off to some 20th Century Fox characters we see the 20th Century Fox logo in the void in the trailer so uh, yeah David I, any I any mean, thoughts <laughs> um I, my one thought was actually that the, the big thing we didn't bring up about Lisa Frankenstein is that movie was uh, really hamstrung by not being rated R uh, because it, mm. it definitely wants to be. Um, and I don't think it finds a solution for not being able to be. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, if you're excited for a movie directed by Sean Levy, then go with God. I mean, I don't know what to tell you at this point. You hate yourself and um, are have very low standards and that's fine. Uh, you know, everyone, everyone wants something different when they go to the movies on a Friday night. You know, if you want to see Ryan Reynolds mugging for a green screen. No, David, they shot on real locations. Oh, okay, that changes everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, you know, I, I don't know what to tell you. I just, uh, um, it, yeah, I, 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 I can't imagine like, how to make this series worse and more of a blight on the cinematic landscape. And then, you know, the, of course, Hollywood always finds a way. And in this case, that way is hiring Sean Levy. So, um yeah, I, yeah, it's going to be dreadful. Um, I <laughs> hope it will at least be interestingly so. I mean, certainly, you know, at a time when blockbusters, the only way they tend to be at all interesting is to sort of comment on their own existence. And here you have a movie that is so noxious because it does exactly that ad nauseum. I mean, I think that sets up a potentially interesting clash as it sort of comes to its most meta-textual head and, and has Wolverine talking about how he's dead and... Talking about corporate rights and who owned what and yada yada yada. I mean, I do, I do like Hugh Jackman. I do like Hugh Jackman's Wolverine. Could be fun. He. It's so funny to me that you know the one of the only comic book characters that got a truly noble send off in this modern era of superhero movies is now being dragged <laughs> back from the dead for this fucking. <laughs> hey, know, maybe we'll see Patrick like, Stewart die for a fifth time or right. something. You know? Yeah, it's just uh, it's the lack of dignity is astounding, but um. I mean, this, these are really, I said this about Wicked earlier, but really, in this case, is everything that I don't like about movies. Um, but I hope it's funny. I mean, like, maybe it will be funny. Maybe they have found ways to make jokes about the trauma that we as moviegoers have all had to experience by watching all this shit for the last two decades. And I, um, you know, because of that trauma bond, will laugh at some of the things that they say. That's my greatest hope for this. Well, those were the notable trailers. Yes, there was another Quiet Place trailer, but I think David and has already covered and why we aren't necessarily interested in that yet. But yeah, man, it, the movies, big movies, big, dumb movies coming your way. It sounds like the one that we're all looking forward to is Twisters, and I would have it no other way. See you in this summer, Twisters. See you in the, in the eye the of the tornado. <laughs> the suck zone. Is that zone. what it's called? That's what Philip Seymour Hoffman called it, so oh, I will call it as well. I wonder, I probably shouldn't show my kids Twister. 
No, show your kids Twisters. You think, I, you think it's not Twister? No, tw- yeah, tw- Twister singular. We start there. I guess. How scary is it? I can't. I You're like, not close enough to Tornado yeah, Alley. Yeah, we don't for live near real tornadoes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, all right, uh, we're gonna it's, contemplate it's a, Twister. It's a fun movie where Bill Paxton drives a truck in the in the storms. Do, it's, anyway, do you remember fun. that truck? Okay. Okay. I suppose it was my idea that we talk about the new Netflix series One Day, which is adapted from a novel that itself was already adapted into a film that came out in 2011. We were doing the podcast by then. If there is, Mm -hmm. I don't know, Dave, did you look up to see if there is an episode in the archives of us reviewing One Day or is it too far back in the past? I'm pretty sure it's not because here's the thing that I learned while watching One Day the series. I have not seen the movie, nor Uh have I read the book. So So I didn't know the thing that happens. The thing that happens, which I I guess we can save that as a, uh, whatever. We can read the spoiler gong at some point. uh, Yeah, we're going to have to read the spoiler gong at some point because I I do need to yell at somebody. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) So it had been a movie in 2011. And when I saw that Netflix was making a series of it, I said, what's the point? Um, But because of the concept. Because the movie is perfect. But, well, oh, so okay. So I remember that David had a deep affection for the movie, and that I and most people were kind of like, okay, okay, it's it's fine. Uh, and I want to let David sing the praises of the movie at some point. But the concept of the book, the movie, and now the show is that you are seeing this couple who are uh, start off as trying to be a couple hooking up after college graduation, and then aren't really a couple for a long time until well, find out if they are uh, on the same day every year for twenty years on July fifteenth, starting in nineteen eighty eight and going up until twenty two thousand eight. I guess I think in the movie the timeline is fuzzy. I don't remember what it is in the book. Something like that. Uh, so you get this little glimpse into their lives, and they're graduating college, and then they're working crappy jobs, and then they're settling down with families and they're having meltdowns and you kind of see around the edges of this one day into what's going on in their life uh, in the ways that they uh, come apart and come together again. So that in the show, every episode more or less is a single day. I think it jumps around a little bit toward the end, which I think is a pretty good reason to make it into a show and a pretty effective method of storytelling. This is where I say that I have seen six episodes of one day. Mm. Dave, how many episodes of one day have you seen? Oh, I watched all of One Day. <laughs> he's not fact, mad about it. Well, so I told Java, my partner, that we were going to do One Day. And she was like, oh, uh, they made a series of the movie. And I was like, apparently, again, not knowing what One Day was. <laughs> uh, she watched all of it before I even started. Uh, so I saw like some pieces of One Day as I was wandering through my house where it was on. Uh, then I started One Day. And it was sort of like live during the pilot, yelling at the characters mm. live. And she's like, what are you doing? Because I don't usually talk back to what I'm watching. So I explained I was watching one day and she's like, oh. And so we started. It became like a thing in my household where it's like, is this not clicking or is this that I just I am apparently tone deaf, tone deaf for romance movies. Please note, romance movies. She didn't accuse me of being tone deaf for romance. Just tone deaf for romance <laughs> Happy movies. Happy Valentine's Day to your household. Yes. Uh, but, you know, and sort of having a discussion about that and how you structurally build out, you know, characters and things like that in a series format to do like this long of a romance. And I could see why this particular format benefits 
the one day story because instead of it being like a time no. gimmick, <laughs> hang on, hang on. I'm just I'm muttering. I'm mutter- doing my muttering. Yeah, okay. So, it's like a me, for- it's the a foreshadowing uh, way of muttering. So it's still what's coming. Uh, the <laughs> instead of doing it like I imagine the film does it, which is having to every time we peek in those sort, there has to be some sort of through line. Uh, either through like similarity or contrast, uh, doing it over 14 episodes, way too many episodes, but doing it over 14 episodes allows you to have uh, episodes that are sort of about one character more than it's about another character. We get to go a little bit deeper into that, all which makes sense to me as an idea, but then the actual one day Netflix series, I don't think takes it far enough. I was like by like episode three or four being like, please shake up this format somehow because instead of doing something that's fun with like episodic tvs it's like you know start one episode at night and have the scenes play out in reverse or like anything to sort of like build some sort of tension within the actual episodes themselves uh ultimately what one day the series was to me is it would set characters up to have three arguments every episode and we just start rushing to cut in between those arguments well the issue that you're hitting on the head here is that what katie said was categorically wrong and it's the inverse of that which is that television is an incredibly poor fit for this particular storytelling conceit the reason that the movie is effective on its own terms i mean it's a dopey movie with thinly drawn characters and you know people may not have the nicest things to say about um well the characterizations or anna hathaway's performance although i find it kind of charming in a manic pixie and halfway sort of way um, is that the compressed timeline of the film actually allows you to feel the passage of time to feel the, the bonds uh, and these sort of like the cosmic interplay of these characters lives to, to feel the way that we do in our own lives, how, um, you know, chance encounters and friendships can, can evolve and change and you grow apart from people and come back and how, you know, the, the, the whole power of the movie is rooted around this, bringing that, that sensation that is stretched across our entire lives in ways that are too vast for us to feel and making it so small that you can see it and, and, um, and feel it. It's distilled right there in front of you. You can feel like how crazy it is that these two people met at college and they went their separate ways and did, you know, did their did and out of each other's lives and then they end up together and then something else happens. Um, and it's also wild by stretching it back out the way that the TV show does, it starts to lose that concentration that is where the emotional, uh, core of the story is in I didn't read the book, but I had imagined the book and in the movie. Uh, now it is just about as emotionally charged as uh, any of our own lives, which um, is not particularly interesting. This feels like they have gone out of their way to to completely defang the gimmick that makes the story worth telling in the first place. I, it made me irate watching the show. I just I couldn't believe the creative idiocy at work here. Like, why? You're, this is just a show about two people who know each other. That's it. I feel um, like it, you're not giving and, and any it, credit to the... All right, so I'll let you finish. Sorry. I mean, <laughs> I, I think that, you know, the, the characterizations in the movie are kind of toxic. <laughs> um, but uh, And the actors here, uh, and Bika Mode and Leo Woodall are very charming um and they get a lot more time to fun locations to play around with these characters but um you don't really i don't don't think the writing makes great use of that time we don't really get to know them any better than i feel like we did in the movie um 
and the the low points for them are just sort of as cringing overwrought as they were in the film and uh and you you know just the the one last thing i'll say before passing the baton is that the movie again it has a lot of flaws but it is really emotionally potent um because it understands uh lona lona Scherfig, who made it she made an education you know she is a a very capable director uh she understands how to harness these emotions and and squeeze them for every drop that they're worth and in part of doing so involved her getting one of the most incredible themes uh that has been written in the last 20 years of movies by rachel portman um when which kicks off as soon as that movie does and is so viscerally romantic and charged that you know just these closing images of that movie of these two characters running around in Edinburgh as Rachel Portman's music picks up. It's just like, I found so wrenchingly beautiful, even if every other part of the movie felt so inauthentic and hollow along the way. And I just watching this, feeling all the emotion leaking out like a, like a, a tire with a punctured hole in it, um, without that music, without that sort of emotional charge to steal it up and bottle these emotions and sustain them over the course of two decades in these characters' lives... Um, it all just felt to me like a massive wasted opportunity and like actually kind of made me angry at the show. Uh, this very innocent and sweet, um, harmless show. See, I feel like you're not giving enough credit to the episodic nature and what it can do to making each of these days, each year that you're checking in with them, feel like a contained emotional beat in and of itself. I think especially in the earlier episodes that I watched where you get kind of the wistfulness and hope of them being young and then, you know, some dashed emotions along the way. It's telling a contained story within itself. It's giving you that punch of emotion of what, whatever they're feeling at this point, And then you can kind of clear the deck to move into the next year and have it do something different. Whereas in the movie, you kind of have to have the things all flow really well into each other. I like kind no of feeling emotionality in there. Like there's no, you don't get the sense of these emotions actually carrying from one year to another. I, think I mean, really what it is do. is that like, it doesn't matter. The concept doesn't matter that it's the same day every year. There's something about seeing the days neatly stacked on top of each other in the movie where some of the years are really eventful and some barely register where the concept of just the concept of just checking in on these characters in a way, not unlike the before movies um, where, you know, the gimmick provides a, um, a sort of emotional prism into the story. It, it feels really sharp and focused. And here it's just like a, another blah stretch of time. Here's another random time. It doesn't matter. You don't ever feel the relationship between one coughed up period of time and the next i, I mean you yeah, understand I that his mom was alive wrong. and that she's not alive but yeah like, you don't there isn't some sort of like emotional follow-through no i think that's completely wrong i think you get like the the last episodes that i've watched you get him in this moment where he's really kind of you know contemplating whether his career as a tv presenter is a total waste of time and then a year later you see decade. him you see him kind of leaning directly into it you get the sense of him kind of ignoring the warning that he'd gotten in the previous episode like i agree that like the episodic nature like gives you a you know a, a break out of the story it gives you a way to kind of get away from the emotions but i think they do a good job of harnessing them right back in there and of finding different beats within these stories and the episode links really vary so you do have some where you know the, you know the one where she's training this guy at a Mexican restaurant and they hang out in a park. It's like 15 minutes long. And that's kind of all you need for that update. Uh, I, I think they work with the episodic format in interesting ways there. I disagree. <laughs> I disagree <laughs> I with like, your I feel take. like Dave does too. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I just, I'm, like, just, I'm, just, I'm just very mad. Uh, yeah. I'm, I, this, here's the difference between, I think, me and David from what I can tell. 
David has apparently seen a version of this story that works for him. I and have it works for me and no other human on Earth. I really need to make that clear to our listeners. So like, sure. There was something, there's something about, you know, uh, a, a crush on Anne Hathaway, plus that Rachel Porton music, beautiful cinematography, and just like the, the simplicity. I mean, which the movie tries to fuck up at every turn, tries to really tarnish the experience that I'm having, and for most people succeeded. But just the, the idea of these two people being, uh, you know, what could have been, I mean, that shit always gets me. I mean, it was sort of uh, engineered to tug at my heartstrings, and it did, and then it really, really does. Uh, and it's actually say that when the movie, and maybe we can ring the spoiler gong for the show, because I'm assuming the plots line up in identical ways, because they have in every other respect so far. Like, when the movie really te- teeters over into melodrama, it loses me a little bit, but then that final punch gets me right back, and I'm curious to see if the TV show has a similar ace up its sleeve. All right, let's gong, and I'll tell you my favorite part of this series. Okay. All right. In episode 13, she gets hit by a car. And I didn't know this was coming. I didn't know what was This is episode 13 of 14, right? Yes. It's just one episode. Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, my understanding is it also happens later in the movie because I like watched just that scene from the movie. And it's in the very movie. It's funny in the movie. It's yeah, like in the it, movie, she gets know. hit by the car and then we're off. It is, um, it is like meet Joe Black level, you know, watching. The shot is just so long. And you're just waiting and waiting and waiting. And then Anne Marie, Anne Marie, my friend Anne Marie, who I was just texting with, uh, Anne Hathaway gets um, absolutely shattered by a truck. Uh, so my favorite you know. part of one day is they leave the camera on Emma. She dies in the streets. And I was like, this is a choice. I finally feel something for this character. And uh, that that was my favorite part of one day was the one <laughs> shot where I watch her die. And it sounds bad, but that's like that's the only time I was able to empathize with either one of these characters in a realistic way where it's like you were having a day. You did the whole like, uh, what is it? The office, uh, Jim and Pam leave each other voicemails at different times. So you're like just barely missing each other. And you realize you just got fucking smashed by a car and everything's over and did anything matter. And then she's out. And I was like, what a bold choice for a show to make. Why is this? Why am I now, you know, like 30 minutes away from the end of the series? If it had like this much actually under the hood, why did it take me so many hours over six hours at that point to get something where I was like, oh, yes, a reason for this. This, this narrative existing. Mm. And I can't because- speak to how it goes in the show because I'm still in episode 11 and they've just gotten to Paris. But uh, in the movie, I found it very effective. And again, I'm not going to score any points with anyone by defending this movie. But I found it really effective that they do spend a considerable amount of time with uh, his character after um, Emma Moly gets I like episode. I like episode 14. But the thing, I, the, the thing that's weird about the structure of this in terms of episode 14 is I assume anybody that knows about One Day because they either read the book or saw the movie knows that this is coming. Uh, but they don't. They choose to keep it a surprise. They choose to keep it like a, oh, uh, the then the blank of life. And there are flashbacks in episode fourteen where she foreshadows her own death in a way. And it just it it felt like TV editing. It didn't feel like him necessarily going back. And, you know, making a narrative for himself so he could feel bad about himself. I do think uh, Dexter, Leo Woodall, does like a fine, attractive job. Uh, but He's in the back hot. half of episode, yeah, in the back half of episode 14, 
they do construct a emotional narrative that makes a lot of sense to me and they do make the most of like flashbacks and intercutting and things like that uh, i just don't think i needed to spend a day every year in between these two people's lives uh being an episode because you're right katie some of them only need to be 15 or 20 minutes but that also means they could have been part of another episode <laughs> Um, so especially when we get to like episodes 13 and 14, where they're going through multiple years, I'm like, I could have done this and maybe been able to follow the through line of the, the series a little bit more. I do. I, so I've gotten to episode six. I've gotten to where, uh, you have Dexter kind of questioning his career choices. And I do remember that it takes him a little while to get his shit together. And I am like, okay, we're going to go through this for a while seeing them figure it out. But I don't like I I like the performers. I like the maybe the thing that got me, honestly, is I watched the first episode. And I was like, oh, I was in Edinburgh when I was fresh out of college at one point, And now I'm <laughs> the age that they are at the end of this movie. And when this the, the, at the end of the show, when the movie came out, I was still young and vibrant. And now I'm less young and vibrant. And maybe it's the nostalgia factor that's making me like, oh, I want to watch these people fuck around throughout their whole 20s. Um but I will grant you that it's a lot of hours to commit to watching people fuck around through their twenties or many other hours of television you can spend doing other things. This, 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 yeah, this, this series was like in my attempt, I was really, really trying to find some hook into it because again, I'm apparently tone deaf to romantic movies. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there was a part like five or six episodes in where I was just like, who are people I almost slept with in college and what happened to us? <laughs> like, you know, just trying to like track that sort of thing. Do I need to be making phone calls right now? It's like, if, you know, if this was my life story, there'd be a pandemic episode where I lost track of a whole bunch of people. Mm. Um, uh, you know, like all those sorts of things. But ultimately, uh, like the characters don't go deep enough for that. They're, mm -hmm. if you have one of them uh, stranded in indecision, that sort of makes sense and you're telling like that sort of story, but they both are stranded in indecision for a decade. And I understand also if that's what you're saying about your 20s, but you gotta, you gotta give me something to latch on to. The fact that he is a television presenter for like so many years and we don't really see his television show until the downfall episode. I'm like, ah! And then, like, hey, you really or, or feel like you needed more info, more info about what kind of shows he was hosting. No, I feel like I, I he, got he it. hosts a variety of different shows, all of which are embarrassing and bad. Yeah, yes, <laughs> like, but, that's, but the, that's the idea. The thing is, he even does like a Nick Arcade version at one point. Yes, which, so, which is actually which is actually funny. Well, like hearing his agent, you know, tell him he didn't get picked up on that. But uh, it, it's just like it's it's one. It's one note, like maybe if we saw a little bit more about like what their days were and what they wanted to be like involved with, we'd do something else. But I just feel like there's so many episodes in this show where it's like they get together. Neither of them is happy with their own lives. They bring that shit into the relationship and ruin things for another year for each other. And mm -hmm. uh, I was like, this is happening over and over again. Then I got to episode seven, which is the stereotypical romance big break. That's when they have their big fight. And I was like, holy shit, I'm halfway through. I just got to the big fight. I don't know if I could do this. And then mm. I was like, Java, please come on and talk about one day. And she's like, no, just don't watch all of it. And I'm like, no, they're all, they're all going to watch all of it. I'm not going to like shit on something I haven't watched all of. But now you can so shit on something you watched all of. See, I know that's true. So uh, everybody listen to me. I've watched all of it, but also like 
fuck, fuck it. I, I can't believe I did oh. that. And you're what you're a, a better position to watch the sequel series today. I'm sure. Yeah, it, it, this year it's it's 45 years in reverse. Uh, it'll it'll be super fun. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's so it, it's such a weird thing. It just I I can understand if it clicks for people who watch a, a lot of this genre, but it is just such a long walk for such a short drink of water. Uh, ultimately, and that short drink of water is watching a character you've lived with for six hours die over in the streets and me mm -hmm. being like fuck yeah cinema and then that was that was the peak for me that was the I, end. I am all i can only hope if i continue watching just to finish it out and you know get the job done these last three episodes that she gets steamrolled by a truck in the exact same street where Anne hathaway did just for continuity's sake <laughs> um uh yeah um also, just thinking that the, the most important Super Bowl trailer that we didn't really talk about, not really trailer, but the most important Super Bowl commercial was clearly the Dumb Kings, uh, bigger than the game itself. <laughs> How do we miss talking about that so we can talk about one day on Netflix, a show that is already forgotten, um, whereas Dumb Kings will live forever. Look, I, at uh, least we're not uh, reviewing the Cloverfield Paradox or some shit. <laughs> like, uh, oh, man. I don't want to. I remember. What? One day that. is fine for like uh, you know replacement watching for a Super Bowl for Dave. Like I'll catch up with the other. I caught up with the Usher halftime so show later. Uh, so I don't regret spending my time watching one day in lieu of something else. I just I maybe maybe I should trust my instincts more. And we're doing fourteen episode series uh, in a week, and uh, not 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 if it doesn't happen. One day it's on Netflix. I'm gonna finish it. Yeah, no, do. I want you guys to all finish it. <laughs> I want At you to feel just... what I felt. Yeah. I think we should make Patches watch it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, with all his abundant free time. I guess the snow melted, so he's good to go. That does it for this week's show. We'll be back next week. Allegedly, so will Matt Patches. We'll see how the weather cooperates. And we're talking about Madam Web. We're in. It's been a while since we all went out to a theater to see a new movie. We're doing it. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm excited. Uh, in the meantime, tell the people who you are. Oh, David has to start because Patches um, is here. Um, I'm David Ehrlich. I am reading now that Roger Ebert... R.I.P. gave one day three out of four stars. So I'm not a total entirely see? alone here on my yeah. island. Um, maybe, yeah. Um, anyway, uh, what do I do? I'm the film critic for IndieWire. You can find me on Twitter at David Ehrlich, at Letterboxd, at Blue Sky, David Ehrlich, Instagram, David Ehrlich. Uh, you can find my review of Madam Web if you want a preview of next week's episode on IndieWire. Um, and what else? Yeah, you can leave us a review on the Apple Podcast app, and we will read it live on the show. Write anything you want. Tell us about your lives. Tell us about your thoughts on the show. Tell us about anything that's on your mind. Um, or if you do not have access to the American Apple Podcast app, you can reach us elsewhere. You can email us at fitwr.podcast at gmail.com. If you have any kind words about why I might be tone deaf to romantic films. I, I would love to hear it. Uh, it doesn't give me any pleasure to just have a genre of storytelling that I don't get, but uh, if you want more Fighting in the War Room, you can obviously go to Fighting in the War Room 
patreon.com if you want more of me for whatever reason you can listen to the trial by content uh podcast over on the ringer network uh where we're going to be telling uh cringy first date movie stories uh this week on the podcast we have a lot of listener emails it's gonna be fun but in honor of valentine's day that happy valentine's day uh follow me on twitter and blue sky da70 and if you also want to spoil yourself a little bit more about our madam web i have put my madam web review on my letterboxd account where i'm also da70 uh i'm katie rich i want to point out that we did the uh, date movies uh quarter quell uh not that all that long ago april 20th 2023 Oh, yeah. I have to come up with a new one, but uh, <laughs> everyone else gets to do it for the first time. Because I'm still remembering the bait and switch that Matt Patch has pulled in his uh, conversation about My Dog Skip. <laughs> didn't, even, didn't even go to the movie. Made us watch My Dog Skip. I think he also watched it in the process, at least in his defense. <laughs> it's like, I finally saw My Dog Skip, and I was like, you motherfucker. <laughs> you motherfucker, indeed. Um, you can find me at Vanity Fair on Little Gold Men, where you know we're weeks away from the Oscars. We're going to be watching all the Oscar shorts next week, so you can um, hear us talk about that. I'm watching the Oscar shorts and Madam Web. It's going to be quite a week for me. Um, you can find me on uh, Twitter and Blue Sky and Letterbox at Katie Rich. Uh, I'm trying to make a, a professional Instagram happen. My regular Instagram is private for me. Um, but Katie Rich Talking is an Instagram that I'm going to see if I can use it for professional purposes. We're going to see. Uh, so you can follow me there if you want. Um, and you can follow us our, all on uh, Twitter and Blue Sky for now at FITWR, where I would love to hear your... Um, date uh movie stories or you can answer this week's lightning round question which was in honor of this week's 30th anniversary of reality bites what is your favorite winona Ryder performance thank you for listening and we'll be back talking to you next week I'm done.